We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'll pray for us, and then we'll read the text together. Let's pray. What a true song, Father. It's more true than we know how much we need you. We are needy to the core. From the top to the bottom of our being, we are needy. And you, Father, have no needs. You are overflowing, full, happy, content. All the strength, all the value, all the glory, all the joy is yours. Which means when you overflow to us, it's grace. You do not give to coerce us. You give out of your fullness because you have no needs. And so we praise you. There's no one like you, God. Jesus, there's no one like you. I pray that tonight you would give us your grace, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would work in our hearts, that we would trust and treasure what you have to say for us as men and women. Help us, we ask. And it's in the overflowing name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It's up on the screen behind me as well. 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So this passage is Paul giving specific instructions to men in the church, and then he turns and he gives specific instructions to women, and they're different. They're different instructions. We're going to dive into what they are, and we're going to talk about why. Why does Paul say one specific thing to men, and why does he say another specific thing to women? But first, we're going to ask, how is this passage connected with what came before? So that's the first thing we're doing. We're just going to ask, how does this passage, verses 8 through 10, relate to what we've been going through as a church together in the rest of chapter 2 in 1 Timothy. So section 1 is asking the question, how is this passage connected to what came before? That's what we're going to do. And then we're going to ask in the next section, what does Paul want for men and women in the church? What does Paul want for men and women in the church? We're just going to talk about what he says. And then we're going to ask, why? Why does Paul focus on these particular things? So that's where we're going. How is this passage connected to what came before? What does Paul want for men and women in the church? And why does Paul focus on these particular things? So how are these verses connected to what came before? Verse 8, you look at it. Paul says, I desire then, 
So that word then means that Paul is building on top of what he's already said. So what has Paul already said in chapter 2? He said that God desires all people to be saved, and we should too. And then he goes on to say that because God desires all people to be saved, my job is to go to all the nations and tell people that they can be saved if Jesus is their mediator, if he's the one who stands between them and God because he paid our ransom on the cross. That's what Paul says. God desires all people to be saved. My job is to proclaim that, that salvation comes through Jesus to all the nations of the world. So when Paul says in our passage, I desire then that all men should pray and that women should adorn themselves with good works, he's connecting the way that men and women behave with the salvation of other people. So this is, this is what Paul's saying. God desires all people to be saved. So I preach the good news of Jesus. And I want you men to pray in this way. I want you women to adorn yourself in this way so that people will be saved. Now, we haven't, we haven't really jumped into what Paul's instruction is yet. But I just want you to see how high the stakes are for what he's about to say. What he's about to say matters. Men and women, the way that you live, the way you live out what Paul's about to command here, influences other people coming to salvation. That's why Paul cares about how you live. Your life can dissuade people from embracing the only thing that will satisfy them, Jesus Christ. What a tragedy. Or your life could persuade them, along with your words, to see that he really is where full forgiveness and full life and full joy are found. The way you live matters for the salvation of souls. So that's how our passage relates to what came before. What Paul's about to say to men and women matters for the salvation of others. So what does Paul want for men and women in the church? So what does he say here? What does Paul want for men and women? We're going to start with men, what he wants men to do, and then what he wants men not to do. And then we'll talk about women, what he wants them to do, and what he does not want them to do. So let's talk about men. Verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So what, what Paul desires is that the men would pray. And when he says in every place, he means not just when you're at church. Christian men should be praying men everywhere. It's manly to pray. Now, this doesn't mean that women shouldn't pray. But Paul's saying there's something distinct, distinctly glorious when the men of the church are praying men. His desire is that the men of the church will be marked off by always praying. This should be convicting, guys. It should be. It's supposed to convict you. God's command to you, men, 
you men in particular, his command to you today, right now, if you're listening to this, is to be intentional with your life so that you are a praying person. Are you? See the phrase, lifting holy hands? That has to do with the way that people prayed back then. People pray this way now. You can put your hands out like this when you're praising, when you're giving glory to God, when you're giving Him honor. You can put your hands like this when you're making a request to receive from Him. Now, you don't have to do that for your prayers to be real and faith-filled, but this is why people do it. If you wonder, why why are people raising their hands right now? What's that all about? This is why. This passage. The position of your body in itself does not please God. Do you get that? Me going like this with my hand? That does nothing to God's heart if it's not connected with faith in my soul. The position of your body doesn't please God. Your trust and your humility does. But the position of your body does help your heart get into a position of trust and humility. And the position of your body helps you express that trust and humility. So don't be afraid to raise your hands either, guys. Don't be afraid. It's biblical, and it may even help your heart to worship. But Paul goes on. While men should pray, they should lift their hands without anger or quarreling. So instead of being known as angry, fighting men in the church, Christian men should be known by prayer. Test yourself here. Would you rather be known as a fighter, as a tough guy, for your own glory, Or, as a humble praying man through whom other people are saved. Let's talk about women. What's Paul calling women to do and not to do? Verses 9 and 10. Likewise also, I desire that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So here, Paul wants women to take care in how they adorn themselves. Adorn, the word adorn means to clothe or to make beautiful. So you're supposed to make yourself beautiful, just not in the way that the world or your flesh tells you. You do it by respect apparel with modesty and self-control. Do you see those words? These words, respectable, modesty, self-control, they're Paul's way of saying that you can make yourself look beautiful without highlighting your body sexually. That's what the word modesty means. Or by being showy, flashy. That's respectable clothing. It's interesting that Paul uses the word self-control here because he knows this requires self-control. It's not just a simple list of, okay, ladies, your dress can be this long, your sleeves need to be this long, they can't be this short, you need to hold your hands down here and be able to tell that it's past your fingertips. That list doesn't work, and Paul knows it. He's saying, ladies, this requires you to think with intentionality 
about how to dress yourself and present yourself with wisdom. It requires self-control to make yourself beautiful with modesty and respectable clothing. That kind of intentionality when you're buying clothes or getting ready in the morning is godly. It's really hard, and it's beautiful in God's sight. And this is really similar. These instructions are really similar to what Peter says. This is 1 Peter 3, verses 3 through 4. Listen to this. Peter's speaking to women, and he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So Peter's saying the same thing to ladies, which, by the way, is one reason I don't think this is just an Ephesus concern. Because Peter's not writing to Ephesus, the passage I just read. He's writing to a completely different other church. This is a general concern among the apostles. When we're getting ready in the morning, what God thinks is beautiful is what matters most of all. That's why in our passage, Paul says in verse 10 that women should adorn themselves with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Ladies, when you focus on being beautiful, know that what is really beautiful in the eyes of God is a life that does good to others. Both in the way that you dress and in just the general way you love people. Put that on. That's what Paul's saying. Adorn yourself. Make yourself beautiful by doing good for other people. That is beautiful, and you should want to wear it. God loves it. He loves to see it. Now, Paul puts that in contrast to focusing on braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. You see that in verse 9? Now, braided hair and jewelry is not a sin. Some of you might be like, oh, there's something in my ear. You know, you're slipping your earrings off. Braided hair was a pretty common way to style your hair back in this day. His problem is not braids. His problem is not jewelry. Paul's saying, don't make that the focus of your adorning. Paul doesn't want you to think of your adorning yourself mainly in terms of how fancy your hair or your jewelry or your dress is. There is a kind of beauty that lasts and grows. It doesn't fade with time or age. And we, all, we all know this. There comes a time in life where, this is guys and girls too, you look in the mirror and you're like, whoa, things were different when I was 18 years old. That's why Proverbs 31, what does it say? It says, um, it says beauty is fleeting, doesn't it? But there's a kind of beauty that doesn't fade with time or age. It grows. And it's the beauty of honor and modesty and self-control and good works. That's what God wants for women. It's what he thinks is beautiful. Now, let's ask, why does Paul focus on these particular things? Why does he say what he says to men and then turn to the women and say what he says to the women? 
because of 1 Peter 3, I mean, Peter, who's not writing to Ephesus, he says the same thing to ladies. Paul is going to say something really similar in Colossians 3, talking about men, don't be harsh. That's a different church. If you read Isaiah 3, that's 700 years before this. The prophet Isaiah is going to tell the women of Israel, God's going to judge you because all you care about is how you look on the outside. Which makes me believe this is not just an Ephesus concern. It's a man and a woman concern. It's a general concern. So let's ask again, why does Paul focus on these particular things for men and women? It's clear when you read Paul that he views men and women as equally saved and in equal standing in Christ. This is amazing. Men and women, equal in their value by the way that God made them in his image, equal in their standing in salvation. Listen to this. This is Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How revolutionary is that? Slaves, you have the same worth being bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as any king on this planet. Men and women, you both are valued equally in equal standing in your salvation. Now that might, that might lead you to believe then, okay, well then Paul doesn't see any differences in men and women. If he's going to say that, we're all one in Christ Jesus. But that wouldn't be correct. At the same time, at the same time, listen, this is hard to do and I know that inside you're not going to want to do this and our world doesn't like to do this, but at the same time, that Paul holds that men and women are of equal value and worth. Men and women are different in the roles that God has called them to. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 11. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's talking about head coverings, women wearing head coverings. That was the way you showed back then that you were under the authority of male leadership. That's what head coverings meant. But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9. Paul says, A man ought not cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So, a little time out there. Paul's saying they're different. They have different roles in creation. And the reason is because of how they're designed. Listen to what he says. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So we're holding these two things as we read our Bible. Men and women are equal in their value, and they're different 
in what God has called them to and in the way he has designed them. Those are both true. But it is our differences that present peculiar opportunities and temptations for men and women. We are different. We are. And our differences create peculiar opportunities for us to glorify Christ, and they present peculiar temptations for us. So let's talk about men, and we'll talk about women. Let's talk about men first. Men are designed by God to provide and to protect. Men in particular are called to be courageous and strong. This is 1 Samuel 4.9. You can look that up. 1 Corinthians 16.13. Strength and courage are especially masculine. You may say, well, aren't women supposed to be courageous and strong? Yes. But there's something particularly masculine about strength and courage to take responsibility and to work hard to provide and protect. And you can see this in the design of our bodies. We've talked about this before. The average man is 40% stronger in his upper body than the average woman, 30% stronger the average man than the average woman in his lower body, 15 centimeters taller on average. God gave men more strength for a reason, because they have a different calling, providing and protecting. Now, here's a little note. Because some people are due to weakness or disability, there's some men who have no strength at all. A man's design is reflective of his calling, but it's not the foundation of his calling. Men are called to provide and protect no matter how well our bodies work. Do you see the phrase lifting holy hands? We see it in verse 8, lifting holy hands. This is interesting. If you look up the words lifting and hands in the Greek, both the New Testament and the Old Testament, overwhelmingly there are two results you're going to see when you do that search. Either people are lifting their hands in prayer or they're lifting their hands against someone to strike them. That's how the phrase lifting hands is used. It's either used in prayer or it's used to attack someone. You lift your hand against them. 2 Samuel 20, 21, 1 Kings eleven twenty seven. Men have hands that are like clubs. I... I read this week that a man punches 62% harder on average than a woman. Okay, so that's an inordinate amount more force, even than the strength that he has, to hit with his hand. That kind of force is useful when you're trying to protect someone. That's what it's given for, to protect and provide. But it can also be harmful when it's used to bully and to oppress. Another statistic 80% of violent crimes are committed by men. Why is that? I think this is what Paul's getting at. Men are called to take responsibility, to protect and provide, and God gives men inclinations and strength to help them do that. But when it goes wrong, 
Men use their aggression and their strength to bully and intimidate and dominate others. So men take the strength and aggression that God's given them to build others up, and they use it to build themselves up and knock other people down. And the world around them encourages them to do it. When I was in university, I had an accounting professor who had, he had a really high voice, but he would say this all the time in class. He'd say, class, if you want to get ahead in the world and in my class, you have to dominate the person who's sitting next to you. That's the only way you get ahead. Dominate the person next to you in your office. Dominate the person next to you in your class. That's what he said. The world tells us that a real man asserts his dominance by intimidating and fighting. Men, dads, husbands, if you do this, if you intimidate with the strength that God has given you to protect, you are prostituting God's gifts. It's a serious thing. Because of sin, we are inclined to do this, though, to use the strength that God has given to assert our own power and control. And I think that's why Paul goes after anger and fighting here in men. Prayer is the glorious opposite of that. If men are inclined to rely on their own strength and authority to show how powerful and in control they are, prayer is relying on God's strength and authority to show how powerful and in control He is. And that's why there is a special glory that is displayed to this world when men don't use their strength to intimidate and put down others, but they give themselves to God's strength by always praying. I think that's why Paul calls men to this kind of life in particular. Let's talk about women. Women are designed by God to nurture and to beautify. So women in particular in the Bible, they're called helpers. That's Genesis 2.18. And they're adorners. That's what, why 1 Peter 3 and this passage are focused on beauty. If you want to think about how men and women relate in this way, this is a generalization, but it's a picture. Think of it this way. Think of men as providing protection, using their strength to provide the protection of roof and walls in a shelter, right? Men use their strength to put up walls. It keeps bad things out. You put a door on the house, keeps bad things out. You put a roof overhead to keep the harmful weather out. And women are the ones who make that structure a home. They fill it and adorn it. They nurture life into it. And we talked about the bodies of men already. Think about women's. They don't always work this way, and it, it can be, and I know it has been for many, heartbreaking. But women's bodies are constructed in a way that they can be a home for babies. Women's bodies can grow children and feed them. 
There's a reminder of that every month for women. They are nurturers. Even if their bodies don't work that way or they don't have the opportunity, it's the way God has called them. I think that's our, why our passage, as well as 1 Peter 3, focus on adorning. Because part of a woman's nurturing is to beautify what God has entrusted to her. God's called women to that. They glorify God by nurturing and adorning what God has given to them. Now, when that goes wrong, women turn their desire and their eye and their skill to beautify onto themselves. They're not nurturing and adorning for Christ's sake to draw attention to Christ. They're taking their calling and they're turning it in on themselves so that people are not attracted to Jesus but to them. And the world is putting immense pressure on women to do this, to obsess over their appearance, their visual appeal. Ladies, you know the extreme pressure that is being put on you to do this. And isn't it amazing that Paul doesn't say, women, don't adorn yourself. No, he knows that God made women to adorn. He says, adorn yourself with good works. Make yourself beautiful with the kind of beauty that is outward focused. Good works. And draws attention to God's glory. Jesus says in Matthew 5.16 that our good works, when people see them, they'll give glory to our Father. And Paul is saying to women, don't give up the desire to adorn yourself and other things around you. Just do it in a way that glorifies God loves others and not just yourself. Adorn yourself with that kind of beauty that makes people glorify God. Clothe yourself with good works. So if women might be inclined to be consumed with beautifying their own appearance and glorifying their own appeal, good works glorify God's appeal. And when a woman gives her life to wearing that kind of beauty, it won't ever fade. It's precious in God's sight. And it's a special kind of glory for this world to see when women in particular seek beauty in good works and not in vanity. Now listen, I know that women struggle with anger. And God calls women to pray. And I know that there are some extremely vain men. And God calls them to good works as well. But there is a particular glory when men kill anger and depend on God's strength in prayer. And when women adorn themselves for the good of others. Okay, so let's, let's finish. Let's close this circle. We started at the beginning. Paul's concern is that people would be saved. When men don't use their strength to intimidate and put others down, but when they give themselves to God's strength by relying on Him in prayer, it is a special witness to this world. It's clearly supernatural when it happens. It is a witness to the truth of the gospel that we say that Jesus forgives and he transforms people. It's on display in men like that. 
And when women don't use their bodies or clothing to attract the eyes of this world, but they give their lives to good works, when they consider that the most valuable beauty they have, it's a special witness to this world because it's clearly from God. Men and women, Jesus designed you. He designed you. And he died to redeem you. To redeem you as men and as women. So that you would know life to the full. And when you live by his design, by the grace he bought for you on the cross, because you need grace to do this, and he purchased it for you, God will use it to draw others in. He will make your faith-filled manhood and your faith-filled womanhood a distinct witness that the good news is true and it's powerful. May God make it so among us, Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, our desire is that people would be saved. That's your desire. And it's ours. Lord, would we not push aside the way that you have made us, but would you redeem the way that you have made us as men and women? Would you make the men in this church providers, protectors, who gladly assume responsibility for the good of others? And would you make the women in this church nurturers, beautifiers, who adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ so that those who see and hear our words would believe they must be true because only something from God could be so beautiful. Make it so, Lord. That's our hope. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you care about the details of our lives, our manhood and our womanhood. Redeem it for your glory. It's in the precious name of Jesus who died for us and purchased for us all the good we'll ever receive. It's in his name we pray. Amen.